Hello, fanatical Remainists. Welcome to a public information <laughs> podcast on behalf of Her Majesty's Government. I'm Andrew Harrison, the producer of the show, and I'm delighted to be able to tell you that Romaniacs has won the tender for a sizable chunk of that sweet, sweet £100 million in government funding for no-deal preparation information. In conjunction with our friends at Number 10 and Tufton Street, the podcast will now pivot to bring you all the latest on what you can do to take full advantage of the opportunities <laughs> that no-deal will inflict, I'm sorry, bring to Britain. So hold tight for how to make tea from pencil shavings, the joy of queuing, <laughs> insulin, who needs it, fun with rickets, <laughs> and much, much more. Never let it be said that we can't be flexible. Meanwhile, back in the real world, this week we'll be looking at the latest efforts to make no deal seem inevitable from our undemocratic Leave EU government, so you two can play at that game, after Sajid Javid decided to troll the nation by reactivating that commemorative Brexit 50p coin, sure to be worth at least a quarter euro by Halloween, <laughs> we're going to be thinking of, use, of useful things to do if you get a shiny Boris in your change. And are we at the beginning of the end game? August feels like the top of the roller coaster. If we've got to go down the slope, what should we be concentrating on and what's going to make a difference? It's a guest-free show this week, so brace yourself for diatribes. Hello to regular panellist Naomi Smith, Chief Executive of Best for Britain and the hardest working woman in Remain. How are you, Naomi? Uh, yeah, I'm good, but don't let people like Caroline Lucas and Heidi Allen hear you say that. Yeah, that's okay. Well, you know, I mean, we, just, we, we bestow the accolades as, as, as we see fit. So something that's happened this week, the People's Vote, the big march, uh, the Let Us Be Heard march, is being moved from October the 12th to October the 19th. This is important for listeners because they need yep. to know where to be and when. What, what happened there? Why, why are we moving the, the date? Um, because it clashed with a Great Ormond Street charity fundraiser marathon. Um, so it was either go ahead and potentially cause disruption hmm. or it forced them effectively to move their biggest fundraiser of the year or change the date. Um, I think the reason behind why that happened uh, and that the date got released before people's vote fully checked what else was happening and, and getting all their permissions was because um, they they wanted to get out ahead of the March for Change announcement that was about the March that happened in July. Yeah. So they, if you if you remember, they, they announced this one a couple of days ahead of that one um, and they probably hadn't done quite as many checks as ordinarily they would do before releasing a date. So it's now going to be after the EU summit, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of people have been a bit upset about, but... Um, sort of more importantly than anything is that lots and lots of people, of course, have already booked their travel, their accommodation, um, some of which will be non-transferable. So uh, there is also going to be a static rally happening on the original date okay. called Rally for Our Rights. So people who want to be able to do something and are in that position where they can't change uh, their travel arrangements can still go to Parliament Square on the 12th for Rally for Our Rights. You can look them up on Twitter. That's being organised by some of the grassroots. And it's happening, it could well be happening in the sort of dying days of a general election campaign. So it's not necessarily a bad date. It could be, No, it could it could end up being very serendipitous and actually one of the last people's vote marches was, as it turned out, it, it wasn't when it was originally announced, um, just a few days before a huge vote in Parliament on the meaningful vote. So yes, it could well be um, very good timing. Of course, with a general election, you're then into um, a, a regulated period where it's very, very difficult for campaigns to put on political events of this scale and magnitude because of the spending limits yeah. that apply. So it may be that... Uh, the, the speaker list would have to change. We certainly couldn't then have lots of uh, MPs standing on the stage saying, oh, you must vote for my party. 
this week or next week or, or whenever it's going to be. Uh, or indeed, the march might end up being a couple of days after a general election. There's been a lot of gossip and a lot of screen grabs of supposed uh, leaked uh, emails showing that, that Boris Johnson might be um, trying to move a general election on the 4th of September to call it for the 17th of October. So uh, we may well have the march immediately after a general election. We so just, Octo- just don't know. October 19th, get it in your diaries. It's not the 12th, it's the 19th. Um, also with us is Alex Andreo, writer, commentator, actor, singer, gentleman at large. Hello, Alex, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Uh, listeners' ears were probably burning this week when The Guardian put out a long read having a go at Remainists, a term we hadn't heard before. Remainists. Oh, um, <laughs> you, 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 you had thoughts about this, I believe. Oh, Lord, it was like one of those... Films that is about two hours too long, but then you've watched about an hour, so you've invested in it. So you need to see how it turns out, and it turns out it doesn't turn out. It doesn't have a point. It's just a, a sort of collection of quotes. It was an odd read, was it? Ian was in it. So a lot of weird quotes, very very weird quotes, from very very weird people. It seems it seems to sort of set out to prove that you know that all these Romanians are all fanatical and uncompromising and weird. And what are they all going to do after Brexit happens? It did seem to be absolutely have an agenda. Oh, God, that's such a ghastly trope, isn't it? The idea that Remain has given purpose to my life where there was none before. <laughs> and I Speak will be forlorn <laughs> when it's gone, you know. Yeah, I'll be really sad when mum's health care in Greece goes back to costing me 600 quid instead of 800 quid and I don't have to worry about being deported or things like getting medicine. Mm. That'll be a sad day. Mm. Also, ensuring that we're core at this week, it's Ian Dunt, editor of politics.co.uk, and that man sighing on the Sky Papers review every other night. Hello, Ian. How are you doing? Hello, hello. Very well. Uh, do you think Remainists is going to catch on? It's an odd thing, isn't it? It's like Islamist. They're not Remainers, they're Remainists. No. I think Ramonas is quite dug in, isn't it, really? Romaniacs went away. Was that because... Um, is that me we, being we, solipsistic? Was that because of we us? We reclaimed like, it, man. We made it. We yeah, made it I cool. Yeah. I mean, certainly at the beginning it seemed to go that way. Now it's just Remainers. But either way, I don't think Remainers is catching on. It's, it's not going to catch on. So I was, was calling myself a Euro a, a Euromaniac for Euromaniac. years and years. Years, long before the referendum. So yeah. I, that's how I describe myself. By the way, isn't it time that the BBC in particular retired Eurosceptic? They're not sceptics, they're Europhobes. Yeah. Yeah, it's like this is like a dead word. Yeah. Ian, the past couple of weeks have been a bit depressing, but in, in the past few days we've had Tory moderates coming out harder against No Deal, Phil Hammond breaking mm. cover, Burko saying he's going to ensure Parliament gets to say, are you feeling any more optimistic at the moment? Yeah, I don't really understand why everyone's being quite so down in the dumps, to be honest. Um, none of the options have changed. It's, I, I, just, I, I can't. So I was listening today on the radio to the Today programme. They have like two pundits, one's pro No Deal, one's um, against No Deal, and both of them agree, oh, there's nothing Parliament can do to stop it. And you sort of think like, how on earth is it that you have managed to reach this conclusion? It's not as if you're not being unima- like imaginative. It's We literally, this year, saw MPs mm. demonstrate the manner in which you stop no deal. They took control of the timetable. They passed legislation. Those options are still there. There's a variety of ways in which it can be done. And the numbers are, if anything, more promising. Because now the people, you know, like Philip Hammond all over the radio this morning, um, and Rory Stewart, for instance... That previously would have had to keep to the to the to the government position are now on the back benches. So on all of this, I sort of think like, have we really are we really so lacking in confidence that all the Dominic Cummings, you know, a man who clearly just seems like he's working through his own personal issues and therefore projects his anger onto the rest of the country, comes out and gives a couple of headlines to the Telegraph, and everyone's like, oh, that's it, we're doomed, we're fucked. Mm. So we're demonstrably not fucked, and it would be quite helpful if people started, you know, giving up that idea. Well, we'll be discussing this in, in more detail later. So uh, stand by for more undemocratic no dealery, undemocratic fifty pence pieces, undemocratic airlifts and rapid rebuttals. <laughs> 
And even, special treat for you, Ian, a bit of Hayek, if you're lucky, if you're good. Oh, nice. After these quick reminders from Alex. A note for your diary. We apologise, but for reasons too boring to go into, next week's podcast will go out a little later than usual on Friday evening. That's Friday the 23rd of August, rather than the usual Thursday evening or Friday morning. And we'll do our best to get it to you in time for your ride home from work. Normal service will be resumed the following week, we promise. One thing that is happening next week is that we're recording part one of our monthly extra podcast for Patreon supporters, Ask Remaniacs. Sign up to supporters on the $5 tier or upwards to get a special extra show where our panel answers your questions. Tweet your questions to at RemaniacsCast with hashtag AskRemaniacs or mail them to info at Remaniacs.com and we'll ask the best ones. Patreon backers also get early bird access to our live shows, announcement coming soon, hint, hint, (laughs) as well as our famous mugs, T-shirts and other benefits. It's the best way to keep us in rude health. Search Patreon Remaniacs to find out more. And if you need to take your mind off politics for a while, you might like our sibling podcast, Big Mouth, the quality pop culture talk show. This week they're discussing Jeremy Deller's brilliant BBC4 documentary about the glory days of raving everybody in the place, plus Sky's new teen angst drama Euphoria and much more. It's the best pop culture talk on the internet. Search Big Mouth on your favourite app and subscribe. Thanks, Alex. Right, now, the no-deal smokescreen. It feels an awful lot like Dominic Cummings' information warfare secretariat is trying to pummel us into submission with endless announcements, both great and small, both real and unreal. Say what you like about them, there's a lot going on. But what matters and what is just chaff to distract us while the clock runs down? Don't worry, you've got the optimistic stuff at the end of the show, but let's do the misery first. Ian, this week, for instance, we've seen announcements ranging from 10,000 extra prison places to bailouts of companies threatened with collapse because of no deal to potential Berlin airlifts of food and medicine in the event of no deal. And we're even going to talk about the Brexit 50p later. How much of this is real policy and how much is just designed to give the impression of action or to or to put the likes of us into a flat spin? No, it's not really real. I mean, like your, your spider sense should always tingle whenever you start hearing sort of big round numbers in politics, right? If you were to do sort of evidence-based policymaking, you probably wouldn't come up with exactly 10,000 places at a cost of exactly 10 million quid. That seems like the kind of thing yeah. that you're doing because you're looking for a public relations attitude rather than because it's based on what is required. Um, they announced 10 grand, um, a bigger pardon, they announced 10,000 new uh, places in the prison system back in 2016, of course. Liz trusted that when she was at the MOJ. She did it with a plan for 2020. She then shifted that to 2023. Then she reduced it to, I think, 3,320. Um, now it seems that these new places are on top of those places. So the current 10,000 places that are needed as a response to the new law and order policy is on top of the old law and order policy, which already hasn't had its places put in. Yeah. So I might suggest at this point that this is just a bunch of myths. Did they really say nonsense. 10 million? What, for the money? For Yeah, for the 10,000 places. Yes. Because that works out at £1,000 Per prison place, so, so that there's money no is, fucking that money way. is not just for the for the place itself. It would also be for you know security systems around the prison. And, and no, no, I'm like, saying it's too it's little. Enough. It's yeah. patently sure, sure. too little. Then, but even then, it's not enough. Yeah. And of course, this is also part of the thing that if you really give a shit about this stuff, there's no good just having a place. The main problem that we have with prisons right now is prisoners spend 23 hours on average in a cell. And part of the reason for that is even when you build a decent library, even when you put good services there to attain qualifications, there aren't enough prison guards to take them to the place. So on that basis, the worst thing you can do with prisons is just do this endless public relations exercise. What you need to do is sit down and think, how do we make this thing actually work? And on that basis, you're never going to get it. And you can tell you're never going to get it 
when they come up with these big round numbers. But is it just about sort of dominating the information space then? You know, if you kind of Google Brexit news and you get 50 identical Express articles just hammering the idea that they're doing stuff, they're doing stuff. I would more say that they think, look, there's a general election coming. It's obvious that they do. And law and order is one of the things you would do if you want to get the kind of people out that he wants to get out. He knows that once Parliament gets back, it's just Brexit, Brexit, Brexit until the end of time. So you've got the summer to just try and bludgeon home some of these core non-Brexit messages. And that's where this stuff is coming So from. new prison places are like the strawberry mivy of politics. Summer, while <laughs> you're off yes. school. Yeah. Also, you have to take all of this with a pinch of salt, of course, because just a few weeks ago I sat in this room saying, actually, the MOJ's got the only sensible <laughs> Secretary of State. That they put. <laughs> and he is still sensible, but nevertheless, that is the area that already looks most tits up. This idea of bailouts with companies threatened by no deal, I promise you a bit of Hayek. Didn't Hayek say that economic nationalism is the other road to political serfdom because you end up subordinating <laughs> the entire economy to the political leadership. Yeah. What so essentially, you know, it's not, not the kind of thing that if you've got a picture of Margaret Thatcher with candles next to it on your mantelpiece, <laughs> you should be going for bailouts. Is I it? mean, Hayek is also, I mean, Hayek supported freedom of movement. He didn't believe that states should have the power to control their borders against people. So he has plenty yeah. of quite liberal, you know, ideas. And of course, the thing is, no one's really a Hayekian. Like, you know, George Bush would have said, oh, I believe in free markets. Mm-hmm. I believe in, you know, Hayek. Blah, blah. The second that you actually get a financial crisis, they're like, OK, should we chuck some money at the banks? <laughs> <laughs> right? exactly. Everyone's a Keynesian in a crisis. And with this, I, w- I would never take their statements of loyalty to Hayek too far because they never live up to it. I'm going to make the uh, everyone's a Keynesian in a crisis mugs and make them available. Basically. And a T-shirt. <laughs> and T-shirts, yes. I'd available. love one. Pay Genuinely. What, pay what you can afford to pay, subsidised by the podcast. You know me. The strategy is clearly to try and brand No Deal as inevitable that this is go- going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. What's best for Britain doing to undermine that argument? Well, our, our entire existence has been around saying that Brexit is not inevitable um, and Best Britain started at a time when the, the legacy Strong Green campaign had come out for soft Brexit and was saying, well, Brexit must be inevitable and therefore we need to make it at least bad. And Best Britain said, no. So this is just an extension of what we've been doing for um, years anyway. So we have got a big no to no deal campaign happening at the moment. Um, I suspect the Venn diagram of people who listen to this podcast and read The Sun on Saturday isn't huge overlap. But this weekend, The Sun got hold of a leaked Best for Britain strategy document and uh, and exposed us being these dreadful centrist Ramonas trying to um, target lots of conservative held seats in the south and southeast of England, uh, where we know that people <laughs> are very scoop, pro-Remain. Huh? <laughs> um, and and what, what we're really trying to do is to make it electorally toxic for that MP to do nothing. So it's not good enough for them to just sort of, you know, keep quiet and, and uh, you know, let, let other people do the dirty work for them on trying to stop No Deal. They need to make like Philip Hammond uh, has done today and get very active in trying to block it. Um, and we think that that will be pretty successful. Uh, those those MPs are now uh, caucusing better than they were. Uh, and and we're, we're pretty confident that they'll do the right thing when the House sits again in September. But we're also not neglecting the Labour leave seats in uh, predominantly the, uh, if you're listening, son, you might as well just make no. Uh, the Northwest, <laughs> Yorks and Humber, and West Midlands. Um, so we're, 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 you know, making sure that there's plenty of pressure happening there, and that's both a ground campaign and an air campaign. So plenty on No Deal, but I think also the thing that's gone underreported. What's an air campaign? Uh, well, that's where you're doing the. Um, it's, it's rather than having people going out and knocking oh, right, on the door right, and right. doing ground okay, stuff. Okay, it's okay. it's all the rest of it, whether it's yeah, you know yeah. digital media. Or, we're not going to drop pamphlets with a plane like. In- no, we have some foot soldiers doing yes. it, but yeah, no, can't quite afford 
afford the planes just yet. Uh, working on it, though, and you can go to bestwritten.org slash donate if you think you can <laughs> help us with an airdrop. Um, but the thing that I think has gone underreported is US Congress um, on no deal. And actually, just as we started recording, um, somebody sent me Nancy Pelosi's latest statement. Um, and this is all around uh, anything that puts at risk the ceasefire in Northern Ireland any kind of Brexit, and of course the, 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 the Brexit that our current administration is really advocating, of course, does um, tear up the Good Friday Agreement pretty much wholesale. They said that they will block any UK trade deal going through Congress if peace in Northern Ireland is put at risk. So all this nonsense, all this Bolton, Johnson, willy-waving over, you know, this you know, UK's first in line for a great deal, it's not in their gift to give. Mm. Um, and the Democrats in particular, but also some notable Republicans, particularly those from Irish descent, are all saying, no way are we going to do anything that helps the UK out if uh, the UK uh, threatens peace in Northern Ireland. So I think that's a really important issue that will help to spike no deal. Interestingly, in another aspect of Britain's charm offensive to the rest of the world, uh, this week we saw um, the government unilaterally pulling UK diplomats out of committees with the EU before we've even, if we ever leave, left. Um, is there any justification for that, apart from the optics back home? It really did seem to be like a kind of theatrical flounce, simply to make the government look Yeah, I, I just think this is, we're just seeing the failure of their like brash macho posturing um we're probably going to see more kind of authoritarian gestures out of them suggesting that the government is in control um uh, the more apparent it becomes that really it, it, it isn't but um yeah they, they didn't turn up to one of the last ones either under the may administration so this isn't actually that new okay alex another thing we saw in there in chaff week in uh you know release countermeasures week <laughs> look there's a lot of stuff flying around in the air was michael gove's rapid rebuttal unit Three more from them after the news, um, which is going to take on inaccurate media reporting of No Deal. Hilariously, this was reported in The Telegraph, which has turned out more inaccurate reporting of No Deal than anything apart from The Express. What did you make of that? I mean, Don't just... be mean. The, the Telegraph polled their readers and found 80% of them support the rapid rebuttal unit. <laughs> I've got the quote here, and it's quite brilliant. A spokesperson said... Uh, this is to counter scare stories about No Deal. While No Deal may present some challenges, scare stories and misinformation are designed to obstruct democracy and prevent us leaving. Um, now, number 10, Ian will correct me if I'm wrong, but the press unit in number 10 would do this anyway if they thought a story that was untrue was out there about No Deal causing panic. So as far as I can see, this is just announcing an intention to be sort of extra belligerent and active about it with probably the view to making journalists self-censor before they even put out a story about New Deal because they just don't want the extra hassle of Gove on the phone going... (laughs) (laughs) Is it supposed to be directed at the journalist or is it supposed to go public? Is the rapid rebuttal going to be a public thing or is it via a telephone to the journal? It's it's a media thing. It's targeting stories in the media that they think are... No, no, I mean, oh, I when see. they rebut, do I they see, do it over the phone to the journalist or do they do it publicly? I would imagine both. I would imagine if, if their uh, job is to put a lid on stories about No Deal that are they consider dangerous mm. for public um, optimism. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is so Orwellian. It's terrifying. It? It's extraordinary. Is it, is it, is it Orwellian and terrifying, or is it just more bloody keep calm and carry on posters? I mean, it's essentially that, isn't it? It's like, don't worry, Britain, 
It's all going to be fine. It's all I, soothing music going to be fine. I can't, yeah. I can't wait until they call me. <laughs> I can't really, yeah, yeah. that would be like all my Christmases come at this, once. This, <laughs> this whole current government could be represented by that meme of the dog having a cup of tea in the burning room, couldn't it? <laughs> going, it's fine. <laughs> Look, everything, everything they do is demonstrative. It's all reactionary virtue signaling. From the, you know, the countdown clocks going down mm-hmm. to the rebuttal unit. None of it to the diplomats. None of it has any content whatsoever. It is just there because it is, It is like we said last week, it's a government made up of Brexit Twitter and it behaves like Brexit Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's de- demonstrating its virtue in this area, but it never actually does anything to secure it. Which doesn't really, I mean, I'm not a fan of the guy, but it doesn't seem very Cummings. It doesn't seem very, because, you know, the Cummings is about sort of micro-targeting. You know, he's presented this idea that, like, Ozymandias in Watchmen, he sits in a room full of televisions absorbing, <laughs> or like the Manning fell to earth, you know, absorbing data from a billion different sources, which can then be micro-targeted with groups of 300 or 500 people. Just marching out and announcing a gigantic government policy that's never going to happen doesn't seem very Cummingsy. Because I saw it, my suspicion is that it's not so much that they know which way this ends. I'm sure they would like to do this thing of, we'll do the election for after the blah, blah, blah. I suspect that what they're thinking right now is just hold the position, deliver this kind of messaging. Once we get a certain amount of pushback from Parliament, maybe Parliament stops them, or maybe just Parliament just as yeah, yeah, yeah. even a motion that they'll, they can, they, it'll be enough for them to go, you know, in a flounce, just be like, oh, that's it. Parliament's getting in the way of the will of the people we'll have an election yeah. now. So all of this is really just to make that, cement that narrative in place so it is then in position for when something yeah, yeah, yeah. takes place an event that leads to an election so think- it, it goes back to what ian was saying i think it, it actually is in place to disguise the the weakness of their underlying fundamental mm-hmm. position which in terms of numbers in parliament is even weaker than it was before yeah. so they're basically trying to to front it out yeah mm. and a part of that was the Telegraph poll on supposed <laughs> public support for the deal, which was presented as 54% of people support Boris's plan to suspend Parliament. A big no-no for polls, by the way, yeah. Yeah, to personalise it like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it, it it's just, a just the Christian name of the Prime Minister. Yeah. What mad methodology expertise yeah. have you used? But even on their own figures, it was only 44% of people who said that that Boris should use whatever means necessary, even the prorogation of Parliament. They just left out the don't knows, didn't but they? It, mm-hmm. it, yeah, and it wasn't just the um, the way they phrased that particular question that is highly questionable. Um, Peter Kellner, who's the former president of YouGov, had a really good piece on it yesterday in the New European. It's worth going and reading. And he, he explained that the, the preceding three questions totally lined it up yeah, to softeners. get the, the comfort yeah, poll yeah. answer that they, they got in that that Boris one so it was all stuff about you know do you think it's absolutely abominable that the Queen would yeah. be dragged into all of this <laughs> yes or no you know so it was it, the, the whole the entire poll was pretty dreadful um, you know we've also had airlifts of food and, and medicines all stuff floated as if they're a good thing one Twitter user Edwin Haywood worked out that the, the entire fleet of the RAF uh, could shift 1.3 million tonnes of goods a year if it flew twice a day all day, which is 1.2% of what sea freight brings in. <laughs> so again, that seems to be more kind of performative kite flying. Um, just in summary, before we move on, we've just sort of laughed heartily at all these moves to make No Deal seem inevitable, but do we think it's getting traction with real voters? Do we think they are buying it? Absolutely, I think they are. Absolutely. Mm. Like I've heard from various people now Various friends who will say in my workplace, everyone just says, well, no deal is definitely going to happen now. 
It's extraordinarily effective. And that is not just them being effective. It is basically lots of people who are quite Romani, who are opposed to no deal, having this instinctive sense of defeat. And we've talked about this on this program before for years now, for about three years, in fact, since you know 2016. <laughs> I feel like sort of progressive types, lefties, centrists, you know, even moderate Tories, have this sort of feeling as if they're constantly being out-strategized by these, mm. these geniuses. And every time you see these supposed geniuses on the TV, you're like, you're a fucking buffoon. Yeah. Like, how could anybody have decided that you're going to be so effective? And yet there's this instinctive sense of we're always going to lose. And that right now is the main reason why you could lose mm. because you have that sense of defeatism to you. So obviously we're doing our utmost on this on this podcast, but how, how else can we turn that around out in the world? I mean, Naomi, you discussed the, uh, the campaigns that the Best Britain is, is, is putting together. How do we get that message out there that this is not inevitable? Well, you just cling to objective reality, which is just, I mean, we would I would not be sat here saying everything's going to be fine if mm. you're actually not going to be fine. Like, I'm not, frankly, over this podcast, I've not been well known for my optimistic <laughs> disposition. You know, yeah. the, the, the thing is, objectively, it is the case that there are ways to stop it. And objectively, it is the case that actually even the coordination problems you have around MPs are not insurmountable. And objectively, it is the case that the votes are there in the country, whether it's in a general election or a referendum, to stop these things. And none of that objective reality has gone away. Objective reality is the greatest friend to people who want to be able to think independently in any context. And the main thing to do is you go, what is it? And if it is, as it is right now, actually quite positive, you can afford to let go of all these really nasty nightmares that are swirling around everywhere. I, I was sorry, you go now. Well, I was just going to say, if listeners want to do concrete things, then the, the really important thing to do is to contact the Remain parties in your constituency, whether that's the Greens, Plaid, Lib Dems, Labour, others, and talk to them and say, for God's sake, do a deal. If we are facing a general election, we would so much rather that I could just vote for one of you in the safe knowledge that you will defeat the Brexit Party candidate or the Conservative candidate. So that's a very real and concrete thing. Find out who they are, Google them, get their email addresses, write, mm. to, the, write to the local party chairman, write to the local paper about it, call into the local radio station about it, say that that's what you want um, because Ian's right we have got the numbers in the country and we've got them for a general election and a referendum but the problem we've got is remain votes being split across four or five parties and leave votes being concentrated in two it's always been our problem still is okay we'll, we'll have time for some more optimism later in the, in the podcast but firstly let's clear our minds after all that lot with gone in 60 seconds this is where one of our panel takes a favorite lever argument and in just precisely one minute <clears throat> Pulls it to pieces so it can never, ever be put back together again. This week it's Naomi's turn and she's going to do The EU is doomed as a political project so we need to leave or we'll go down with the ship. Naomi, your 60 seconds starts now. Well, blocks all over the world are facing difficulties. We just need to look at China and Hong Kong as one example. But the EU is actually doing really well. Even its most recent opponents like Salvini have long since shut up about leaving it. The turmoil surrounding Brexit um, has made voters in other countries more appreciative of the EU's benefits. And this led to a really energetic campaign across the continent in May that resulted in the first ever increase in turnout at a European election. The EU is clearly on the up. And since the 2016 referendum, they've negotiated successful trade deals with Canada, Japan and Singapore. And all of this has helped the European Union's popularity amongst its citizens jump to the highest levels in a decade, just as trust in member states' governments is dropping. And while polls show that the EU is much more popular among young people and those on the political left, um, about 45% see the bloc in a positive light and only 17% in a negative one, the highest net positive rating since 2009. And a full 61% are optimistic about the Union's future and 56 the most in 15 years fill their voice counts in the EU. 
57 seconds. Boom! Nice. <laughs> Am I the winner? I think you stuck the landing there. Am I at the top of the leaderboard? I think no, I've done 56. He did 56. Oh. Why didn't uh, I know that before? Well, I, you can try, try for it next time. That's unfair. Is this going to be like the omelette on Saturday exactly. yes. kitchen or something? I'll like <laughs> get you next time, Andrew. I'll get you next time. Fantastic. Now, the Brexit 50p, a.k.a. half a sovereignty. <laughs> back, in, back in the hazy days... Of that is t- one of your best ones. <laughs> back in the hazy days of Theresa May, who thought we would miss them so, Philip Hammond trailed a Brexit coin as a one-off limited edition collector's item for the sort of person who's happy to pay 10 quid for 50p's worth of national pride. A bit like those Franklin Mint Harry Potter coins that are only legal tender at Gringotts. Or an SO petrol coin featuring a bas relief of Gaza. For the 1994 World Cup that England didn't qualify for. Well, those wimpy days of Great British Can't Do are gone. Free spending Baron Brexit Sajid Javid intends to release millions of pounds worth of the patriotic heptagon into your pocket, all bearing the possibly inaccurate legend Peace, Prosperity and Friendship with All Nations. Eds, please check. You'll be getting them whether you like it or not, so we thought we'd come up with some ideas of what to do with the coin nobody's calling the shiny Boris. Alex, firstly, is Sajid Javid just trolling us here? Is he rubbing our noses in it? Blue passports aren't enough. He's just trying to fit in, poor Sajid, isn't he? (laughs) I bet he was bullied at school by people like Johnson and Rob. I bet you that's what it is. A a Brexiter would say, well, there was a 50p to celebrate the anniversary of us joining the EU in 1998, so why not want to mark us leaving? They would say... Well, for the same reason that people don't register for gifts when they get divorced, because (laughs) celebrating the failure of a relationship is just plain weird. The 1992 50p to commemorate the founding of the single market now goes for £50 online, though, so it's actually done better than sterling, so we should all have have piled into that one. If If people get a Brexit 50p in their change Alex is there a place they should send it or spend it that will make a difference what should they do with it who would you like to see the 50p's go to I reckon they should melt them and turn them into musket balls because uh, 16th century ammunition I suspect will be important (laughs) in no deal Britain okay this is what happens when you have beer drinking in the middle of the podcast what about a worthy cause that could use the 50p Um, apart from us Sure, there are loads of worthy causes. Mm. What do you think is the most appropriate? Well, they can give their regular 50ps to them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't okay. understand. Maybe they should just issue loads of those 50ps and give them to people for free as a form of quantitative easing, because Lord knows we'll need it. Well, I had, a, I had a kind of a reverse idea on that, which is if you get a Brexit 50p, you should drop it down the grid because you'd then be limiting the money supply in a kind of DIY monetarism in the kind of thing <laughs> Mrs Thatcher would have approved of. That is so elitist. Have well, you been yeah. reading Hayek? I'm having a crisis, Ian. I'm having a crisis. <laughs> I can't afford to lose all the 50p's. So very important to me. Listeners, <laughs> send them to Alex. Um, but of course, if you donate the 50p to a worthy cause, they get the benefit. But then it goes back into circulation. Somebody else gets it and they can also re-donate it. Is my local laundrette a worthy cause? I suppose it is. Yeah? No, yeah, me, yeah. you're going you're to say send your Brexit 50p yeah. to Best of Britain, aren't you? No, please don't. I mean, as, <laughs> an, um, as a, an anti-monarchist Republican coins, you know, propagating cultural conformity um, and an ideology that I don't believe in isn't especially new okay. to me. So, you Hand know, here we go. your money right now. Now, um, come here, give me your money. <laughs> um, look, given who's going to be calling all the shots for us when uh, Trump bullshits himself to death, uh, maybe we could call it the 50 Mike Pence. Oh, <laughs> good. Very good. Grown, grown. <laughs> um, yeah, 
I mean, look, it wasn't our first Euro 50p, as you've already said. Um, and actually, we, we were looking on eBay to see what those go for now, uh, just before I came on the show. Um, and if you find one of those ones from 73, um, it you can get, yeah, what did you say? About 55 well, quid online? Well, the 1992 one is 50 to right, 55 quid. Right, yeah. right, right. No, apparently the 19... 19- 73 one. I think they're going for, we cranked out about 89 million of them uh, in 73. And now you can get a tenner for one, if you if you okay. find that. Um, which, coincidentally, is what Britain intends to call the new £20 note. <laughs> yes. Um, listener Ellis Pratt reminded us that the suffragettes made good mileage out of defacing coins with uh, votes for women. Back in the day, they were chiselling votes for women onto the money. I mean, that, which is a bit more useful than drawing a beard on the Queen or making it look like Frankie Howard. You know, there is, which has been done. Is, I know a few enterprising Lib Dems produced um, hexagonal bollocks to Brexit stickers to put on your Brexit 50p. Yeah. Are these are these worthwhile things? Yeah, and they make people feel good, and that's always worthwhile. Mm. Engineering of people's mm-hmm. kind of yeah, I believe, you know, mass self care or something like that. That's very Cummings. That, yeah, actually, well, you know. <laughs> And goings, yes. Comings and goings, yes. Like your new We're going to back that for a future show <laughs> headline. Oh, no. Ian, as a man who once said he didn't care what colour his passport was, I'm guessing you don't care very much about Brexit. I don't give a fuck. No. Um, Javid said he wants us to put, it, put the coin on general release so that uh, everyone gets a coin, and it's not just a tribal thing that some people buy, but the whole point is it is tribal. It's saying, you know, uh, we won, and we're going to make you see this every time we buy half a packet of crisps. It's government by trolling, which is exactly what we were discussing before. This is the, everything they're doing is the same thing. It's just government by trolling, and that's what this is. So you can get upset about it. You could just be like, oh, I couldn't give a fuck. Yeah, whatever. There is a certain irony that the new coin was announced the same week that the Paddington 50p, mm-hmm. with an illegal immigrant from darkest Peru mm-hmm. on it, uh, was released. And Paddington doesn't earn £36,000 a year, I can tell you that, <laughs> for nothing. No. So... I mean, I mean, if you're being objective, uh, if you had to send your Brexit 50p somewhere, where would you send them? I would probably send it JCWI to the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants, which is basically my default charity thing. You know, whenever there's a bet or something or something like that, and I have to do it. That's that's usually where it goes. The Paddington thing is interesting, by the way. You know, um, Colin Yao is probably, I think, probably like the he's the best immigration lawyer writing about immigration law. Um, has a long blog, which if you look, Colin Yao, Paddington Bear, yeah, yeah, he's very goes good. through in detail exactly what the Liebgo obstacles that Paddington Bear would have faced if he tried to come to Britain and get a yeah. visa, which would have been considerable. In fact, he wouldn't have been able to get Well, here. he's a bear, so wouldn't he have been destroyed for having like, his temper? Maybe. No, that's true. We, we, sh- we shouldn't take the metaphor too far. <laughs> like, yes. you can just, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, but if he was a humanoid bear, what kind? so he would have to demonstrate the ability to support himself? Just please look after this bear. He's not really going to No, that's, that's not going to go so well with UK Border Force. <laughs> That's not going to work out. But that does sort of tell you something, right? Because, you know, that, do you remember when we had um, uh, Joel and uh, Jason on? And yes. we were talking. Who co wrote Paddington. Who co wrote Paddington, yeah, right. Yeah. And they talked about, you know, what this this beautiful sort of vision of, of, of sort of, of British values, basically. This idea of, like, please and thank you. Can you please be kind? And can you look after people? And Miranda, that's in there. That's in the national mm. personality. It's not like some made up hokey bullshit. That is in there somewhere if you can dig it out. And if you compare that sentiment, that classic sort of Paddington Bear sentiment, to then the reality of British immigration controls, you see how far away yeah. from our best characteristics we have drifted. So even though it is this sort of, if you look at that blog, even though, of course, it is a nonsense and a silliness, there is actually something in there that's sort of quite profound and quite upsetting. But the thing about fiction is it's true. Mm-hmm. You know, fiction tells the truth, doesn't it? It's kind of, it's there to sort of tell us about, about, about our will. Getting back to reality, though, I mean, the irony, another irony of the Brexit 50p coin is it's probably not going to happen at all because the Privy Council doesn't meet until October <laughs> after 
whatever is supposed to happen has either happened or, 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 or hasn't happened. So, so it's all cancel all their leave and holidays and bring them back or yeah. something. Right, because because it they're very matter. tough. Because it won't happen in the same way that the prison places... Yeah, yeah. none there, of this no, will happen. There is no objective yeah. reality to any of the things that we're discussing. They are mm. basically press releases. That is all they are. And the sum total of their intended effects is the emotional response that people had as they were announced. That is yeah. all they fucking are. Yeah. So you actually... You don't need to do the thing. You just need to say the thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Would it, uh, well, if, if the coin ever happens, is it, would it hasten the decline of the cash economy, you think? <laughs> you know, <laughs> cash. Cash is leave. Co- you know, contactless yeah. is remain. Because actually, being serious about it. That, that, there's probably quite a bit of truth in that. Yeah, yeah. Look, young people don't know what money no. is. I mean, that, yeah. a number of times I've tried to buy a pint and I'm standing there with my tattered fiver. Mm. And they've already presented the card mm. machine, and they're like, "What's this? What is this strange blue paper which you present yeah. to us?" I, I've often thought that Shelter, the homeless charity, should be handing out, you know, the contactless iZettle yeah. receivers mm-hmm. so that homeless people can take contactless payments because they're sat outside a tube station going, "Can you give me they some change?" And I'm like, "No, of course now. I don't." Yeah. Just in conclusion on this, if you'd presided over a 25% decline in the value of sterling, would you want to draw attention to money? <laughs> It's like the thing that you would do. Say, hey guys, let's all think about money for a bit. Because the first thing that happened was, it's the new Brexit 50p, now worth 20 euro cents. Ho, ho. Literally everybody made that joke. It does seem, even at the level of what you were describing in, of virtue signalling and point making, and, yeah. you know, kite flying yeah. and flag waving, it kind I, of and, failed. And, and it's true, especially now, because um, it, with the sterling slide in the last couple of weeks, the average... Family of four doing an average holiday in Spain saw the cost of that holiday go up by 700 quid while they were there. So everyone is, you know, everyone knows, everyone's feeling it. You're yeah. right. It's it, it may as well be a chocolate coin. So in conclusion, the bastards have ruined money as well now. Okay, let's do boring but important of the week, where one of our panellists picks out something that we should all be paying attention to, instead of worrying about how to exchange their hated shiny Boris for a lovely silver Paddington instead. Ian Dunt, what's boring but important this week? Again, I'm just going to point out that I think I disproportionately get the boring but important. (laughs) Because you you bring them alive, darling. You bring them them paranoid. You make them live. I'm sure that's what it is. You bring out their soul. Come on, what's boring but important? (laughs) It's modular trade deals. Of course, listeners. Come on. Of course, it is. Well, because look, this is what, you know, said by John Bolton and, you know, the British government over the last few days is we can do this thing with the US by just splitting up a trade deal and doing it in little bits. The question is, like, can you make that work? There's a bunch of different levels to that. I mean, the first level is, can you do it sort of strategically? Can you do it in terms of getting the thing in the negotiating room itself? And the the answer is, you you sort of could at the early stages. I mean, when you take. Especially, I mean, the you know, Bolton, who wouldn't be doing the negotiating, by the way, Bolton mentioned sort of industrial goods. And the thing is, like, after the various rounds of multilateral trade negotiations that have taken place through the GATT agreement, through the WTO, tariffs on industrial goods are pretty much fucking gone. Like, there's very, very few large tariffs on them. So on cars, I think the US right now is 2.5%. Britain, because of the EU, tariff is 10%. So you could you just go there and you go, fine, right, so we're going to do the cars... US would happily get rid of its 2.5, couldn't give a fuck, especially if you're getting 10% back. So you could very quickly come back with a, there'll be no more tariffs on cars, which of course would be greeted by the press here as like, look at how easy it is to suddenly get, it doesn't really mean anything. Where it means stuff is when you get onto areas that the US cares about. They care about pharmaceuticals, they care about Silicon Valley, 
and Healthcare. they care and yeah and, and overwhelmingly they care about agriculture their farmers will want something and that brings in all of the problems that we usually have about sort of animal welfare standards and the thing that we don't mention enough in their agriculture which is the overuse of antimicrobials yes. which is catastrophically terrible the way they do it and the, Europe has much much more sensible rules there once you try to get onto an area where they are not willing to budge they are not going to fucking budge and that's where things get difficult that'll be later on and then the second part is what happens when you bring it back as Naomi said You've got fuck all chance in Congress if, if you have decided to do something that involves no deal that has threatened Ireland. Same way, I think you don't have much of a chance in the British Parliament or among the British public. When you look at what happened with the EU and the US when they tried to do their trade deal, it all came down to this thing, which is admittedly pretty fucking shady, of these investor trade dispute mechanisms. It's a sort of secretive investor courts attached you know, to governments. And it doesn't make for pretty reading, let alone by the time... And that, by the way, caused actual popular upset. That was genuinely a popular thing. People were upset about it. Let alone by the time you get onto chlorinated chicken and blah, blah, blah. Then the final part is, and this to me is the most interesting part, because we've seen something genuinely fascinating in the sort of worldwide populist right-wing movement this week which is that, remember, the US hates the WTO. In fact, Trump today was threatening to leave it. They've been trying to destabilise it. They've basically killed off its blood supply by stopping there being any more judges going on to the appellate court, basically stopped it from functioning. The UK, especially Brexiters, have been acting like the WTO is their great friend. Now, if you have modular trade deals, it is not legal through the WTO. You can be litigated against. Now, I don't think you would be. But the UK's attitude was supposed to be, we are going to now really base ourselves on being in the WTO and making it work. Yeah, yeah. Now, what the US is saying is, uh-uh-uh, no, you're not. Yeah. You're going to be joining us on the anti-WTO front. So what you saw this week was already a sort of a, a vision of the future after mm. Brexit of, oh, it's not just Europe that's a threat to sovereignty. It's the WTO that's a threat so to sovereignty I, as can well. Can I ask something? Taking what Naomi was saying before, you know, Pelosi's speech in the Irish Parliament mm -hmm. and her more recent statement today. Is there a possible future where we're, we've basically alienated the, the EU and we're in the middle of trade negotiations with the US at a time the presidency changes and they go, they see basically Brexit as aligned with Trump and they want nothing to do with it and they want to hug the EU closer again. We're left adrift without either. Yes, absolutely. But then it wouldn't make any difference because the US-UK trade deal is only worth 0.2% of our GDP mm. anyway. So, I mean, it would be embarrassing, you know, but then we live in a world of embarrassment. We're, this is something we're used we're to right now. We're beyond embarrassment. Exactly. Yeah. So, but economically, it would make absolutely... In terms of difference. influence, a US trade deal is not unimportant, though, because I being think, close it will give us a little bit of, say, we'll amplify our international... I don't quite agree, because I just think most of that stuff happens outside of, of trade. Like, there was no UK-US trade deal, you know, when we were very close, for instance, with Thatcher and Reagan or with Blair and Bush, you know, yeah, that's, the, right, that's the politics. So in summary, we're not just leaving Europe, we're going to leave the world as well. <laughs> <laughs> Exit when, planet, Brexit the planet That's the danger, isn't yeah. it? But only England anyway, and Wales. Well, here, comes the, here comes the optimistic bit. We're going to try and break the habit of a lifetime whoop, by whoop. ending on an optimistic note. It does feel like we're in the end game, but opponents of hard Brexit are finally getting their act together. We talked about Phil Hammond attacking No Deal, Burko saying he'll ensure Parliament will get a say. Tom Watson is working with Joe Swinson, and we're promised no confidence moves pretty as much as soon as Parliament returns. First up, though, aren't we in a catch-22, wherein no election means No Deal remains the front-runner, but an election runs down the clock and is more like, it could even happen after No Deal. So whatever happens, No Deal continues to be likely, election or no election. 
I don't know about that, really. I mean, I would have, I would have thought an election is winnable. I mean, yeah. Naomi's would be better to talk to her. It, it just seems to me it is simply winnable. I, if someone was to say to me right now, put put all of your money on one side or another, so it was stripped out of my actual prejudices and what yeah. I want to happen and just on what I need to happen financially, I would probably put it at about 50-50, which way that goes. Because I don't think yeah. either Labour or the Tories are able to get a majority. So the question yeah, comes down to how can you coordinate that sort of thing. And on this matter, if he can set the date for the election after that jump, I don't think people should be going around acting like that would be like something. Oh, maybe he's got this option to do it. He didn't fucking mention no deal during the referendum. It's been voted in three times in Parliament this year Mm. alone. And Parliament, by the way, people seem to keep on forgetting this, is made up of the people that we elected to represent us. It's not like some kind of fucking body. After the referendum as well. Exactly. Yeah, 54% of people in the 2017 general election voted for parties that had explicitly ruled out no deal. There is simply no mandate at all for it. And this would come after a no-confidence vote. So all of that, he doesn't get it. He himself Mm. doesn't get elected. Then there's a no-confidence vote. And then they're like, oh, and I can do it anyway. Mm. You sort of think, like, we shouldn't act like that is an okay option Mm -hmm. for him to pursue. Mm -hmm. I do like the way that you refer to October the 31st as the jump. Like it's hyperspace. Yes, or, yeah. <laughs> after oh, the God. jump, like after we spin off the FTL <laughs> and end up in the gamma quadrant or whatever. So, <laughs> Event horizon. Absolutely. So uh, sp- spreadsheet fail breaking cover today mm. um, and really coming out against No Deal. The attack on him from Cummings was savage. They, they treat him like the Emmanuel Goldstein of, uh, of Brexit here. <laughs> How significant is this? I mean, because, you know, he's been pilloried as the kind of the, the traitor in the nest up to now. Well, the reaction is as a consequence of the significance mm. You know, they wouldn't be responding this badly if they didn't think it was really going to hurt them. Um, It does. The Gawkwood squad, as they are coined, um, are active and working together and will not support Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings' strategy over no deal. Um, I think that a no-confidence vote will probably get nixed by Johnson calling an election. Okay. I don't think I think that, that that's what they'll they'll do. I think they will get ahead of this. They won't want to have any kind of egg on their face and humiliation. All of the money that's being spent, we know what the Conservative Party is spending, and they're ramping up huge amounts of online advertising spending over the summer. Um, they're investing an enormous amount in polling. They are doing everything that they can to um, make sure that they are as ready as they can be to get going once the the pistol is fired. So yeah, I mean. It, it you know it's it's incredibly difficult for all of us a general election isn't it's high risk for remainers you know we we probably do have the numbers in the current parliament to get a, a final say vote through but it's increasingly unlikely that that is going to be an option we've got um, a government with a majority of one that's got other things it wants to do it all roads point to them getting ahead of this and calling their an election on their own terms um and and you know i think I, obviously you know the labor position is always going to be the really difficult one in all of this and i think that the people close to corbyn are probably almost hoping uh that 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 the worst effects of no deal get um uh, labelled very closely to the no dealers in the conservative party so that they can sort of be the phoenix that rise from the ashes from it um, but that said, they're not going to vote but, against overturning the fixed term. But this is where what Ian was saying comes together with what you're saying, in that they want an election, but they want it to look as if they were forced, forced to call it. it. Yeah. So he what, he's desperate for someone to stop yeah. him from doing this thing, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's the mask. Okay. Somebody <laughs> stop me. Yeah. Um, Tom Watson, Labour must work with Joe Swinson. 
Uh, this was at an Oakfuck event. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is going to incense the Corbynistas. They hate him already. Indeed. Uh, do we think it's likely to move the dial? I mean, Mysterious Spokesman X and Rebecca Long Bailey have let it be known that Labour's not going to back a national unity government unless it's led by Jeremy Corbyn, which will be a funny kind of national unity government. <laughs> um, is it going to move the, the, the needle? Or is it, is it the long march of Tom Watson towards getting something done? So Tom Watson's not the only Labour MP that's doing this. There are lots of them that are um, talking to the Remain Alliance, working with us uh, on all of this. And there is nobody involved in the Remain Alliance that I've heard that would try to put up a Remain Alliance candidate against a sitting uh, Labour MP who's brilliant on Europe. Um, so, you know, all of this is happening whether the leadership of the Labour Party want it to or not. And, and the Remain Alliance will work around them to make sure that, that we deliver the goal, which is to make sure that Johnson doesn't have a big majority or, or any kind of majority following a general election. As I understood it, the, the particular um, detail of the uh, Joe Swinson and Tom Watson thing about working together was on no deal, to fight no deal, rather than uh, in a, a full-on stop Brexit, remain mm-hmm. alliance. So I think Tom still s- stays some distance from Joe's own position on Brexit um, uh, in particular. But no, there is a, there's a lot of encouraging mood music coming out from lots and lots and lots of Labour MPs and actually some people very very close to the left of Labour and, and the Labour leadership we've seen Owen Jones do a very big move actually um, in support of the Remain Alliance uh, over the last few weeks and Paul Mason as well and in particular um, Michael Chesham who heads up another Europe is Possible which is um, the group that have really led the whole love socialism hate Brexit love Corbyn hate Brexit um, agenda over the last couple of years and have been doing brilliant work there um, they're the ones that are, are pushing the CLP motions very hard up and down the country and they've got 50 of those passed now ahead of the Labour Party conference um, which actually you know go much further than the CLP motions did last year it's not just about a referendum it's about revoke and remain so how inextricable is this from the question of Jeremy Corbyn's continued leadership of the Labour Party, do we think, the panel? Well, just don't, I mean, just don't let it go anywhere near that stuff. We're on, this is the actual fight now. This is what's about to happen. It's going to happen in a very, very tight period of time. The more we start thinking about with Jeremy Corbyn leader, so that, that is not going to change over the next few months. So mm. that can't be what we're dealing with. The whole no, the no confidence thing should be there as a nuclear option. But unfortunately, as soon as you actually do it, you start getting brought into that, that sort of next? debate you're alluding yeah. to. Exactly. Who's the one in charge? If it's not Corbyn, he won't accept it. If it is Corbyn, the others won't accept it. So it just gets you into a debate that isn't helpful. There are plenty of mechanisms available to you. And they are explicit. They have been said. John Burko said, use standing order 20. He's basically, I mean, almost explicitly <laughs> said it. Use standing order 24. Exactly. He's, I mean, he couldn't have, he can't be any clearer. Any clearer. You know, like he could mm. do a, a performative dance for everyone. And that would indicate towards it. Use an emergency debate. We know right now that neutral motions, these things that previously could not be amended. That he will allow prevent. them to be amended. Exactly. Yeah. It's all been made very clear. We've also got the Northern Ireland Act, which MPs themselves secured before Johnson came in, that puts these ministerial statements have to go to the Commons and you could have a vote then. There's also, by the way, if you use no confidence, there's two stages before the vote that you can use. The first one is... There's a single sort of business order, basically, which is when MPs vote on something to say how long they're going to take to talk about it. You can amend that if you want, Mm. put it in there. They've done that before. Or the actual no confidence motion itself, you can amend to say, well, fine, we want a general election before October 31st, or we want you to extend Article 50 Mm. and have a general election afterwards. That makes a no confidence motion kind of defunct for its original purpose. 
but it gets you your purpose, which is ultimately always going to be, we're going to set aside these days for a debate to pass legislation to force you to extend Article 50, just like they did last time. So we don't even need to go into the no confidence thing. There's plenty of guns there. Pick one of them up and shoot them. And, <laughs> and, and lots of lots of Tory <laughs> Remainers and, and you know, non-Conservatives that are just, you know, anti-Corbyn are very worried about anything that might empower Corbyn. But I can assure everybody that what Andrew said at the top was right. None of the parties at the moment can form a majority government. There is no cut of the data, no poll, none of it that shows that Corbyn is likely to return a majority Labour government. Mm. He will have to be in coalition with either or both of the Lib Dems and the SNP, depending on how the deals go and and how many MPs each gets returned. And the price for that from the Liberal Democrats will be a second vote. Can I play devil's advocate for a moment? Because I don't disagree with a word of what either of you said, but psychologically, the first building block of any corporation, and this will require cooperation, is a a level of trust. Mm. And it seems to me that there's a philosophical problem. Can you be dragged into a position and be authentic in supporting it with Corbyn? And also, this seems to, to me that under Corbyn and Seamus Milne, Labour has developed a reputation of a certain amount of duplicity. And that, I think, is a real psychological obstacle to remain getting together and stopping no deal. I feel from a lot of people that they don't know if they can trust the Corbyn leadership. Not two steps ahead or four steps ahead, but whether they will come together, announce something, and then unnamed spokesperson X will come out and say, well, no, that's not what we agreed. It's funny because I think I'm about to say something quite supportive of Jeremy Corbyn. I don't feel fantastic. I actually feel quite ill in the bottom of my stomach. But ultimately, watch... I mean, I would say, look at at how they've behaved in parliamentary votes. You're absolutely right. Every time, you know, spokesperson X gets a chance to whisper fucking toxic nonsense in the hallway in Westminster, he will. But but let's look at the votes. And actually on that, Labour whipped in order to do this, and they have demonstrated that again and again. So on this bit, which isn't so much what happens in an election, it's what do you do on the votes to stop no deal? I can't, I just cannot see any world in which they do not whip to stop no deal. Okay. Okay. Well, we will find out as time goes by. But we've come to the end of the podcast, um, which means the Brexit time capsule. Uh, Usually our guest decides, but um, our panellists haven't had a chance in ages to choose something. Alex Andreo, it's your turn to choose something to put in the Brexit time capsule for Kate Hoey to play with. What's going in there? I'm going to put Ian Duncan Smith in there. Oh, God! Knowing there is a risk they may breed. Um, (laughs) Because it it seems to me it's the only way we'll ever be rid of him. He's like the Benjamin Button of politics. He's gone from leader of the opposition to secretary of state to senior minister to junior minister to irrelevant backbencher, and he still won't fucking retire. So is he going to be head boy of a school and then president of the Dennis the Menace <laughs> fan club? Also, also, because the capsule is likely to be opened on an anniversary, which may be Halloween, it will be quite a nice scare for them, I reckon. What, for Kate Harry? If Ian Duncan, Duncan Smith and Kate Harry and pop out. Oh, God. Anyway, we always finish the show with a clip in a European language, and this week it's in German from listener Christina Pegel. Oh, great. She's fantastic. Wenn du diesen Clip spielst, dann werde ich definitiv bis zum Ende zuhören. Definitiv. That means if you play this clip, then I'll definitely listen to the end. Definitely. Good thinking, Christina. 
So, <laughs> listeners, don't forget to send your European language clips to us. Record something on your phone and email it to us at info at com, and we will use the best ones. And that is the end of the show. Thank you to Naomi, Alex and Ian. Remember, next week's podcast is out late Friday, not Friday morning. So we will see you then. Uh, here's our theme tune, Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop, and there's a free download on their website, ampleplay.co.uk, for all listeners. Now, please be upstanding as we thank our latest Patreon backers. It's a big thanks from me to Nick Waddingham, Matt Cullum Black, Cynthia, David Squires, Divya, Colum Linian and Alan Sinnott. Hello and many thanks to Chris Love, David Pearl, Aidan McGinley, Thomas Labardi, Daniel Gersh, Ashley Wynne-Jones, Andrew Rowley and Tom Pegg. And hello, thank you from me to Richard Herrick, Doug Whitelaw, Richard Moore, Tim Barr, Antonella Tassini, Bennett Griffin, John Godley and Darren Waddle. And finally, hello from me to Norman P. Shute, Adrian Dyke, Julie Cockman, Jay Aliff. Ali Willis, Anne-Marie Greenslade, Joshua Swirsky and Jane Headland. Romaniacs was presented and produced by Andrew Harrison with Alex Andreu, Naomi Smith and Ian Dunt. Audio production was by me, Elsie Bath, at Soho Radio. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production. Romaniacs.